Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by podcaster and filmmaker Chris Broad, the man behind the Abroad in Japan YouTube channel and podcast of the same name. Hello, Chris. Hello, Sam. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for talking to us today, all the way from Japan. Snowy, remote North Japan, yes. Nine hours ahead here, so it's about 8pm, sipping my evening coffee. Uh, So yeah, it should be good fun. Whenever I do a podcast or something like this with someone the other side of the world, I have to drink coffee to make sure I'm on the ball. Uh, in the evening, so we should be alright. Playing with fire though, so close to bedtime. It's a dangerous move, but uh, <laughs> has to be done, has to be done. For listeners to this show, how would you describe the Abroad in Japan YouTube channel? If you're interested in any facet of Japan, uh, the Abroad in Japan channel is one of the better YouTube channels, I hope, uh, that covers Japanese culture. have been doing it for eight or nine years now, produced 200 videos, we've got 2 million subscribers, and uh, I guess it, I made, I've made the channel that I wanted before I came to Japan because there wasn't a whole lot on YouTube back in the day, eight, nine years ago when I first got here. So yeah, I've tried to make the channel that I always wanted. But uh, yeah, odds are if you're interested in Japan, you might have seen one of those 200 videos over the years at some point or another. It is an incredible resource and you've got a very good website which uh, sort of has a map of Japan and, and videos from different locations. Me and producer and Louise have been on holiday to Japan a couple of times over the years and I think we've we found ourselves using your channel as some research ourselves. Yeah, I, I think hopefully it's a good guide for people that uh, want to know their way around Japan. It can be intimidating, you know, rocking up here for a two-week holiday, especially with the whole language barrier. But one thing I've tried to do is try and help people and ease them into the country and uh, encourage British folks in particular to to come and visit because if you ask most British people they want to come to Japan right but they just sort of think oh you know it's too far it's too expensive Uh, and I've tried to dispel those some of those myths and try and just pressure people bully them to to come and see Japan for themselves I don't think I've ever met someone who's uh, who's come to Japan and not been um, and, and sort of left it feeling disappointed like everyone loves it when they come here. You've got a great body of work behind you, uh, 200 videos, as you mentioned. When you're thinking of videos now, is it more challenging to kind of come up with something like, what do I need to cover now that I haven't already covered? No, I it's a good point. And you'd think the answer would be yes. But no, in the sense that I've yeah, I've got a list of videos that I want to make. It's a list that uh, always seems to get longer. And I think as I've found ways to improve as a filmmaker, like, I've, you know, I've been doing this eight years when I started the videos were pretty rubbish. The production quality wasn't great, and I've had to learn a lot along the way about filmmaking. For example, only in the last two years have I started making documentaries. I have the confidence to make documentaries about important subjects like Fukushima. Like I went to the uh, Fukushima exclusion zone, and I did a documentary there. If I'd done that four or five years ago, it would have been rubbish, and it wouldn't have been powerful, or it wouldn't have worked. Um, it's only after you know six years of doing this that I feel confident to do that. So as that confidence has sort of grown, it's it's unlocked new levels uh, of, of creativity that I can explore and channel into projects. And in fact, my kind of thing that I want to do, my aim over the next year or so is to make a short film, something I've never done and something that I've never felt qualified to do. Um, but now I feel like I might be able to pull it off within the next year or so. I feel I might be able to pull that off. And so, yeah, by levelling up in that career path, in the, in the role of YouTuber and filmmaker, 
it unlocks new ideas and you're able to kind of do more. Gone are the days that I just sit in a room reviewing bloody interesting flavoured Kit Kats. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We've we've taken things to the next level now. (laughs) From from Kit Kats to Fukushima. Wow, what a a leap. (laughs) What a a trajectory. (laughs) Yes. It's been amazing as a viewer, I think, to sort of watch you, as you say, sort of level up and kind of just explore more in more detail, I guess, bits of the country. Yeah, that's the great thing about being a YouTuber, right? You're letting people into your life. You're taking them with you on that journey. Uh, and if, for somebody who's followed abroad in Japan for years, you can literally watch me, my first video, struggle to make my bed, my futon bed in my crappy, tiny apartment, uh, all the way to now, eight years later, when I'm admittedly still in a relatively small crappy apartment but uh yeah there's just so much going on we've got to travel and do a lot of things and yes it's it's been really fun to take people on that journey uh they're as much a part of the abroad in japan kind of channel as anyone a big thing for me personally in in 2020 has been the abroad in japan podcast which i only discovered this year Mm. uh, and i quickly went back through the back catalog and and kind of binge listened uh the whole thing whilst our own trip to japan was cancelled how did the podcast come about that launched a bit later than your youtube channel yeah i was always reluctant to do a podcast because i thought it would just get in the way of making youtube videos right i thought it would just cannibalize my time but I met Pete Donaldson, who was a, at the time, he was a DJ on Absolute Radio in London, presenter of the Football Ramble, one of the world's biggest football podcasts. And by sheer luck, when I was in uh, London making a video about my good friend Natsuki, Japanese friend, Pete, who was a viewer of Abroad in Japan, messaged us and and, uh, dropped me an email and sort of said, if you've got time, why not come into the Absolute Radio studios and we can do an episode or do some sort of feature on the radio. Um, so we went in and sheer luck I got the email when I was about three blocks from the Absolute Radio studio in um, in Leicester Square sort of area sheer fate so we went in any other day of that trip wouldn't have happened so it was very very lucky and uh, we got on really well and I invited him to come and visit the next time he was in Japan because Pete visits a lot uh, and then he came up I think it's funny when British people we sort of say oh yeah come on over for tea when next time you're around you never expect it to happen uh, <laughs> and then he, I got an email saying I'm uh, yeah, I'm in Japan. Do you wanna do you wanna meet up? I was like, yeah, all right. And it was really fun. And uh, then he sort of proposed the idea of the podcast, and that's where it all went. It sort of kicked off from there, really. So it's been really interesting having that dynamic. Pete's still in the UK. I'm in Japan. We have that sort of inside-outside dynamic, um, which I think works really well. And he gets to visit Japan, or used to before the pandemic. He would come here sometimes two or three times a year because he loves the culture. Um, so yeah it's really great and I've learned a lot from presenting and podcasting and all from from Pete because he's an expert in the field so it's been a lot of fun but he's a rather crazy eccentric figure and uh, it's a lot of fun doing the podcast with him every week it's a nice compliment to the YouTube channel you're not kind of cannibalizing one for the other like they're two separate things that live harmoniously side by side it's interesting like a lot of the listeners on the podcast don't even know there's a YouTube channel half the time the amount of times they've said oh you've got a YouTube channel it's quite weird but I like that. It's like having two different audiences. It's like two different uh, kind of things going on there. So it's it's really quite exciting and fun. I know you're a big film fan. Is it easy to stay up to date with current releases in Japan? It's, you know, releases from Britain and, and, and Hollywood? I, mem- I mean, yeah, the films do come out here a little bit later. I remember uh, the Wes Anderson film, Isle of Dogs, uh, came out, I think, in 2018, I'm going to say. It came out in the UK in like March or April, and I really wanted to watch it, but it didn't come out here until June or something. Um, and I got really annoyed about that. And that is the case, you know, we have to wait another two months sometimes 
to get the films and that drives me mad nevertheless i am on the ball when it comes to films and the japanese cinema experience is really quite pleasant the cinemas are all very new and modern and clean people aren't annoying and they don't talk or throw popcorn um so you can really enjoy the cinema and uh, so i actually go a lot more here than i did back when i lived in the uk i've, I've been able to stay on top so that's pretty cool but uh, yeah japanese cinema is is pretty awesome in that regard the cinemas uh japanese cinema as a whole i feel has been in a little bit of a decline in recent years sadly yeah over here we barely get any kind of japanese domestic films um but when we do it's either sort of something that's been hugely fated like a hirokazu kurida film or a studio ghibli film it's kind of a shame really because japan is a big cinema producing nation but um i think netflix has really been where a lot of japanese domestic films go for western audiences now absolutely um but i remember talking to you before briefly about kiri haji and that was a really interesting thing that came out i think was that on netflix that was on netflix right it was a bbc show here and then it went to netflix the rest of the world i think it is now on netflix everywhere um with a former guest uh, joe barton the writer of the show a few of my listeners and viewers prodded me to watch it and i was like all right then and it was amazing it was really good it was so well written and so well produced and yet nobody had seen it so it was really good to try and push that out there um and really exciting to see uh, a drama that took place across Japan and the UK like that. Something I don't think I'd ever seen before. So to everyone listening to this, go stop what you're doing after this podcast, of course, <laughs> and go and watch Giddy Haji on Netflix or BBC or iTunes. Have to do it. It's really, really well written. When you're choosing something to watch, does the film's runtime ever come into it? Not really, no. Um, no, it doesn't. Unless I'm editing till late and then I want to watch a film and then I don't have much time. Generally, though, no, it doesn't. Um, and it was quite hard finding a film that was under 90 minutes that I wanted to watch. This wasn't my first recommendation that I wanted. The first one was Lock, right? But I think you'd covered that uh, in the previous episode. And I was like, oh, damn, because I actually wanted an excuse to rewatch that. Um, but then I was like, wait a minute, Sexy Beast, that's just about under 90 minutes. I think it's like one hour 29. It's exactly, yeah, exactly right. One hour 29 minutes, just under. Yes. When I discovered that, I was so bloody elated. Yeah, I don't know how it came to that. I think I actually had to... Got, it got to the point where I literally went to Google and just typed in films that are 90 minutes or less. And it came up on a list and I was like, yes, sexy face, fantastic. A contented ex-villain forced into one last spectacular robbery by a psychotic face from his past in this mould-breaking stylish thriller by director Jonathan Glazer. Gary Dove... Ray Winston, is blissfully retired to a Spanish villa paradise with the wife he adores. His perfect lifestyle is shattered by the arrival of his gangster nemesis, Don Logan, Ben Kingsley, intent on persuading him to return to London for a big heist. Desperate not to sacrifice his carefully built ideal, Dove is drawn into a shocking battle of wills with Logan, ending in an explosive psychological showdown and a sensational underwater bank robbery, spoilers, in which he must risk everything to protect the woman he loves. It's a very dramatic uh, synopsis. It is. I feel like they had to because I, I don't think, if you look at the sort of summary of sexy beast it's not that exciting guy who's retired gets called back to do one last job that's the premise of a lot of films i guess they had to go all out there and make it sound a lot <laughs> sound so hyperbolic and ridiculous just in case the image on the front of ray and his speedos didn't draw you in that copy will <laughs>
It's quite a striking image. Sexy Beast is a debut feature from director Jonathan Glazer, who's gone on to have a, well, he's already sort of had a big career before this, but an even bigger career off the back of this. Uh, written by Louis Melli's David Cincto, produced by famous producer Jeremy Thomas. Uh, got a very long history of producing great British films. Uh, and starring Ray Winstone, Ben Kingsley, Ian McShane and Amanda Redman. Released in 2001 and, as we mentioned, 89 minutes long. It's exciting. Jonathan Glazer's uh, debut film. I mean, Jonathan Glazer... There's a lot to say about him, but uh, where to begin? Where to begin with this? Do you remember when you first watched this film? I don't know. I think I might have been at school when I was. I was one of those students who did film and media at A level, which is always feel like a cop out, unless you pursue that career, which I did. So it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> pursue, your, your sins are absolved. But uh, we studied music videos and we studied Jonathan Glazer inevitably, given he was uh, doing some incredible work at the time. And then we watched Sexy Beast, I think, as a result of that. Um, so that would have been around 20, gosh, I don't know, 2008. So I must have been about 18 at the time. And it's uh, something that stuck with you, clearly. Yeah, I mean, at the time I enjoyed it, but then I forgot about it for a long time, for about five or six years. And I went through this phase, a weird phase, that must have been about five, six years ago. I went for a, a, a phase where I wanted to watch loads of British films, lots of British cinema. And I went through like a list of a lot of great films, films like uh, you know, Brazil, The English Patient, Fish Called Wanda, Shaun of the Dead, Alfie. I just went through a big list and then that came up and I rewatched it, loved it. And every two years I sort of go back and rewatch it. It has all the components that make up a very good film, like a dynamic storytelling, a great script and really strong characters. And again, even though the premise isn't anything overly unique or exciting, because of those three components... It's it's everything a good film should be, um, so I often go back to it to remind myself how to how to make a good film, right, or what a, a strong film should be. Because the gangster genre is so well known, especially in Britain. You know, we've gone, it's, it's you know, and it had a really big boon in the eighties with uh, things like Long Good Friday, and then it sort of turned into the Guy Ritchie films in the nineties. This is just after that, and it's it's sort of playing with the format to the point where. We all know what a gangster film is. As you say, we've all seen the story of a retired gangster coming back to work. And I think the masterstroke with this film is actually the plot really doesn't matter. And it's more about the relationships between these gangsters, which I think is quite fun. Like these middle-aged gangsters who are kind of just over it and they're more enjoying, you know, living the life. Yeah, it's more like an anti-gangster film because Ray Winston's character, you wouldn't really know he's a gangster in many respects. And he's very nice and relatable for a gangster. You grow to like him and you don't really see much much in him that... Uh would would make you assume that he's a gangster apart from the fact he's Ray Winston and that's the genre he seems to crop up in more than any other um, it's the most anti-Ray Winston performance I think you could possibly watch a great reminder that he's a, a very good actor like he's had some he's definitely had some misses um, I remember watching him in Indiana James Crystal Skull I try oh, and forget yeah. there was a film but he wasn't very good in that although I think that was more the script to be honest um and I saw that before I saw Sexy Beast. So I think <laughs> my opinion of Ray was, was probably lower and then it got better because of Sexy Beast. And now I know that he's a, he's a very good actor. Um, and this was his, probably his best role in my view. I think so. I think it's a, it's a really good showcase for him. I love how he you know, plays this film and I love how the film sets him up uh, as our protagonist. Like that opening shot, him on the sun lounger with the titles and, and uh, stranglers playing. That's one of the greatest opening shots in all of cinema. I think it's just so visually striking. And again, like going back to Jonathan Glazer, the director, he's, for those of you that don't know Jonathan Glazer, like he's done some incredible music videos, Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai, Karma Coma with Massive Attack, 
the iconic Guinness surfer commercial uh, where there's the, the guy surfing with the horses which is like rated as one of the best commercials of all time. Like he's done some incredible, some incredibly striking work there, and I think he was able to take that through for this sort of directorial, directorial debut. Um, and he knows how to make a scene very compelling and very striking in a very short space of time. And uh, that's the benefit, right, of starting out and doing commercials and music videos, and then moving on to film. I think you're more conscious of that. Without Jonathan Glazer, I don't know if Sexy Beast would be the film it is. I don't think it would have necessarily have worked. I think it would be more of a trad gangster film. Like I, I just think I think the the best thing about this film, like the plot, you know, is neither here nor there. Really, it happens in the background. It moves the characters on slowly, but you know, most of the plot is about the characters talking. You know, should they or shouldn't they do this job, and and these relationships between them. And I think that's that's what Glazer brings to this. It sort of elevates it above the gangster genre. Yeah, like there's a lot of surreal imagery uh, in this. Like uh, the main character Gal Dove, like he has uh, some nightmares, and there's some really Donnie Darko-esque imagery and uh, uh, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of surrealism in there and it really, that's kind of what helps make the film worth repeat viewings I think if Jonathan Glazer wasn't directing it I think it'd probably be a good film but you wouldn't want to necessarily rewatch it. He really gets in the character's heads especially, you know, Gao's head with the, uh, the, the vision of the demonic bunny that was something I totally forgotten yes. about before this rewatch. I remember the pool the boulder at the beginning, I remember the underwater heist didn't remember the terrifying demon bunny rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah. It's, it's it's those sort of things. And the boulder, right? It's just a big random boulder that comes rolling down the hill and splashes into the swimming pool. And that's Gary's idyllic life being disrupted for the first time. Like his pool's mm. been destroyed. Boulders almost killed him whilst he was slapping on the sun cream. And then Ben Kingsley's character sort of shortly follows in a similar way to the boulder <laughs> and disrupts his life even more. Yeah, I mean, he becomes the, the sort of physical manifestation of the boulder, I guess. But um, I think when it comes down to it, the reason I recommend Sexy Beast to anyone is uh, Ben Kingsley's character, isn't it? <laughs> it's such an incredible performance a good film should have a character you you remember really easily and Ben Kingsley's character Don Logan is phenomenally memorable and iconic and I think he is the main uh, draw card to this film and the main reason I recommend it to people uh, it's a hell of a performance terrifying performance isn't it I mean he's so unbalanced you really can't predict that that you know what he's going to do next he kind of comes out of nowhere at short notice i love the dinner scene actually before he arrives when gary's mates yeah. tell him uh, that he's coming over from london and you know at this point our protagonist just wants to order his calamari um, and have a nice meal out with his, his missus he doesn't he's not prepared for this this is the symbol of his old life as a gangster and you can tell everybody is is shook and the nice thing is that Ben Kingsley follows up on that when he arrives you can see why they're mm. terrified of this guy it's one of the best entrances I've I've ever seen in a film to a character. The first twenty minutes of the film, all the characters are very scared, as you said, around the table, and you don't know why. You don't why why are they nervous? What's going on? And then he turns up, and it's oh my god, it's I've never seen anything quite like it. It's the sort of character who looks like he would bite your ear off, and then just not even remember he did it ten seconds later. Um, it's just it's not that he's like physically imposing because Ben Kingsley's quite small. Uh, he's not physically imposing, but he's so unpredictable and fearless and sociopathic 
that's just a remarkable performance and just an utterly terrifying character. It's his personality, isn't it? You know, he's he can be really mm. charming, like a lot of intimidating sort of people can be, um, but he can flip. Uh, you know, at the <laughs> drop of a hat, and and when he flips, he really does gets very violent, gets very shouty, and even though Ray Winstone towers over him, you can see he's he's kind of he just doesn't want to be involved in this guy. Ray Winstone becomes so passive, you know, when he's there, he really doesn't want to even look at him or engage with him. Yeah, and I think that really gives him a sense of strength when you see how afraid Ray Winstone's character is uh, of this small crazy maniac. I can't recall many characters that rip up the scenery as well as uh, as Ben Kingsley does as, as well as Don Logan does he's not even in the film that much like he's you know he's one of the mm. big name stars in the movie of course but I think screen time there's a lot of the film that doesn't have him in but he still hangs over the film as a presence because when he's not on screen the the question is where is Don he's still influencing the plot you know even when he's when he's not there yeah I, I love the scene on the plane as well when he's uh, he refuses to put out his cigarette like a good film should always you, you kind of have you on the edge of your seat in every scene like almost like a thriller i think you want to know what's going to happen next there should be some underlying tension and there's just so much tension in every scene that he's in but no, no more so than the scene where he's he's on the plane the plane's about to take off and he lights up a cigarette and all the plane comes to a halt and then he causes a stir and he finds his way off the plane then he's arrested and then he uses his incredible sociopathic skills to talk his way out of the situation in a very compelling way um all of that, it's just amazing. It really is an incredible performance. I can see why he's kind of the standout. Like when the film was released, he was the one who was Oscar nominated and BAFTA nominated for the role in this film. Yeah. Sadly, didn't win, but um, I, you know, it was good to hear that actually, even the you know his, his peers are kind of acknowledging this role. I think it was just. I think a lot of people were shocked uh, that I read that. Uh, uh, you know, he's known for doing these characters like Gandhi or. Uh, the, was it the accountant in Schindler's List? He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> very calm, well <laughs> collected. Uh, sane character and this is such a, a lurch in the right in a sort of crazy direction that uh, it really took a lot of people off guard seeing King Ben Kingsley do that yeah I mean he, he definitely did deserve that Oscar nomination I think there's no doubt about it we're looking at Saturday but you're needed in London this Friday it's a bit sudden isn't it sudden no it's very far from sudden Teddy's been working on this for five months Dan almost that I've been in on it for two it's not sudden preparation 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 as far as the actual job's concerned, it's a piece of piss. A monkey could do it. That's what I thought of you. Cheers, Don. You're at the Grosvenor. Your name's Roundtree. Like Smarties, like Shaft. If they give you a pull, you're just over here to see some friends, social visit, family, that sort of thing. Do you have a favourite scene in the movie? Probably the scene where Ben Kingsley's character, Don Logan's in the kitchen trying to convince Gal Dove, Ray, Ray Winston, to go and do this job and go and do it one last time. And the entire dialogue just turns into shouting and abuse. And you watch Ray Winston just gradually just lose it and gradually just get weakened. And though there's no physical violence, he looks like he's being sort of punched over and over by the dialogue. Um, but the dialogue is so intense and maniacal. Um, yeah, it's just that scene, that dialogue in the kitchen, I think. Um, where the, It gets to the point where... Uh, Don Logan's character just shouting, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> He's trying to convince uh, Ray Winston's character to um, become this person, Mr. Roundtree. You're going to go to London and do this heist under the name of Mr. Roundtree. And he's like, I'm not doing it, Don. He's like, yes, 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 you're Mr. Roundtree. Yes, yes. And he literally does that for like 10 minutes. And it's and it's great. It's it's the pinnacle of entertainment and fear <laughs> uh, and abuse. And it's, it's my favourite scene, an incredible performance on 
both their parts. I think uh, the film, whilst it is short, it, uh, Jonathan Glazer allows the scenes to play out, you know, quite long. And, and they're often, you know, just two or three actors talking to each other. And it really showcases the, the, the performances of these actors. I think that's kind of a masterstroke. Just let the actors do their thing, you know, and just let these two actors spar against each other. And I think you're right. That's probably the best sort of sparring example of two totally mm. different personalities uh, within the script. It's a pretty fast-paced film, um, but Jonathan Glazer does such a great job slowing it down for those moments of intensity. Like there's a scene towards the end where... Uh, Ian McShane, terrifying, again, even another terrifying character, maybe even more terrifying than Ben Kingsley's character in some respects. Teddy is mm. his name, though. Teddy. <laughs> uh, he is threatening uh, Gal Dove's character, and it's just a very small, minimal conversation, but the the shots are just dragged on for like five seconds of staring. The intensity and the that feeling of being on the edge of your seat comes in those slow moments, the suspense being built up slowly, right? It's not the fast-paced moments where everything's happening. It's those moments where we stop and pause with the characters and soak it in, soak in the fear and the dread. The way Teddy picks out Gal when when all of the gangsters are assembled, they're doing this job. You're not quite sure what the job's going to be yet, but he's sort of singled out. They want to know, you know, what's happened to Don and and, and everything. Yeah. But I also I also think when you actually see the job they're pulling, it's you know, and this goes back to Glazer's you know visual flair. It's spectacular. The underwater heist, going into a, a steam room sauna next door to a bank to drill into the vault from under the pool. It's a amazing staging. The underwater heist scene at the Turkish bathhouse has got a dreamlike quality to it, hasn't it? And uh, any other director could have just done that really in a really boring way, like a leisure centre, <laughs> <laughs> just going in and uh, you know just digging a hole through it. But like, yeah, there's a really surreal quality to it again, and it just makes it so powerful and there's a sense of dread overhanging everything underwater bank heist how often do you see that in a film if you pitch that into some sort of pitch meeting it feels like people would laugh you out of the room like what <laughs> but when you see it you know this is this is done in such a way it's quite low-key because it's turkish bathhouse you know it's it's very underlit and and, and it's got this cool sort of moody gangster aesthetic there but also just actually having your climax of the film be totally dialogue free because of course they're all underwater during this exciting set piece is a real again it's like another it's a real it's a great turn from glazer mm. and, and the script writers to sort of you know do something a little bit different yeah i mean again it could have been could have been the film could have been a lot cheaper to make without that but it made it all for it um it really added another dimension to it something you you don't normally see in a heist film sort of it's it's also hugely kind of complicated and the film doesn't really spend any time talking about logistics like these are just the best of the best they know what they're going to do get the team back together drilling into a bank vault under a pool totally fine easy job like you do like you do <laughs> it also allows for uh, Ray Winstone Speedos to make a, a second appearance in the film I like that he's packed his best bank robbing Speedos <laughs> yes he must have loved making this film <laughs> <laughs> spend half of it with his clothes off old Ray Winstone <laughs> I think he uh, he's a sort of a, during interviews around the film he was very fond of filming in Spain because every night he was out in the town partying staying up late doing a lot of his scenes with a hangover the next day whereas Ben Kingsley went to bed early prepared you know and, and it was just these two different approaches to acting to be fair Ray Winston's character I th that's fine though isn't it having a hangover it seems like his character was sort of perpetually hangover like hungover throughout anyway so I think it kind of worked it's method acting clever method acting get drunk and have a hangover while filming you've got to make it work for you haven't you if you're on a job out in spain 
yeah, sure, I'm going to party every night, get paid for it, <laughs> Absolutely. great. I think Ian McShane was a bit put out that he didn't get to go to Spain, because uh, by the time they were shooting in the UK, everybody had all these great stories about shooting in Spain, and he was like, oh. Yeah, and he just had to drive a car through the streets of London for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Ian McShane. You know, you talked about him being possibly more menacing than the Ben Kingsley character, and, and I think that final scene with him and Ray Winstone is, again, it's sort of one of the all-time great gangster scenes where... You know, we find out that he's actually murdered uh, Ben Kingsley or the, the group in Spain have, have killed him. And uh, he he's annoyed, but he's not annoyed enough to do anything physical to him. But he just pays him a tenner for the bank job. Yeah, it's that feeling of unpredictability. He's incredibly calm. He's very menacing, isn't he? And the best villains are often very calm and collected and menacing rather than just outright angry and crazy and silly. There's you you don't know what he's gonna do, and at one point he just shoots a guy in the head right, right in front of uh, uh, Gal's character to to really intimidate him. Gal is just in a real state of shock after that, and he's threatening him. But no, really menacing character, and in some ways more scary than Ben Kingsley's character. I think asking for change from his uh, his fee as well. <laughs> I'll pay you a tenner, but I've only got a twenty. Have you got change? <laughs> and then seeing Ray Winston awkwardly fumble around. Again, like, I think Glazer lets the scene play out long enough for you, the audience, to feel awkward during that. And like, is he going to shoot him whilst he's trying to find the tenor? Or like, what's what's going to happen here? Yeah, you, you feel like you're very much in the car there watching him. And, and Ray Winston's character, Gal, is, is shaking, just shaking crazily. And he's getting the money out. And there's like shots of Teddy just staring at him really emotionlessly. There doesn't really seem to be a hint of sympathy in, in Teddy's character. He's just... Yeah, it's it's very menacing. It's, getting those close-up shots of the face of him just looking unemotional really pays off. Ian McShane is a master of... I mean, he's a great villain in so many things, but in this it really showcases how menacing he can be without doing very much. You know, he can hold mm. a stare, he can have the right facial expression. He holds his body in such a way where he's just clearly so confident. I swear he hasn't aged either. I swear he looks the same in Sexy Beast. It came out in 2001, didn't it? And he looks exactly the same there as he does in John Wick, the recent John Wick films. It's magic. Hello, I'm Martin Zotzorstwick. And I'm Sam Hay. And together we make a podcast called Song, Song by Song. Song. But we don't do it alone. Almost every week we have a guest. And we've had some wonderful guests, including writers John Ronson. John Hodgman, Simon Stevens. We've had uh, musicians Eliza Rickman. Uh, Jenny Conley Drizos from The Decemberists. And Jeremy Wormsley and Elizabeth Sankey from Summer Camp. Uh, we've had podcasters Jenny Owen Youngs, Jeffrey Craner, and Phoebe Judge. All sorts of people join us to talk about the music of Tom Waits. And if that sounds fun, why don't you join us too? You can do that at our website, songbysongpodcast.com, or search for Song by Song wherever you get your podcasts. One of the standout things in this film is the music as well. Again, Jonathan Glazer is so good at working with music in his ads, of course, in his music videos. This is not your typical gangster film soundtrack at all, from Dean Martin to The Stranglers. Yeah, I'm amazed how many filmmakers don't take sound design seriously. One of my favourite directors is Martin Scorsese, and I had to study him a lot back when I was doing film at school, and uh, he's a master of picking the right soundtrack for the right occasion. But yeah, Jonathan Glazer's done an amazing job. I think it's because he's worked uh, worked on a lot of music videos, the commercials, like again, the Guinness Surfer uh, commercial is well known for that soundtrack. I'm not sure what the name of the soundtrack is. It goes, dun, 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 it's just a real foreboding. But the, the music really brings it all together in that commercial. But uh, yeah, he has a very good mastery of sound design 
in his films. There's no doubt about that. I think it's something he's carried on later into his career. His sort of follow-up film was Birth, starring Nicole Kidman, and his most recent film, uh, it's quite a few years ago now, but uh, Under the Skin, starring Scarlett Johansson. Is he a director who you, whose work you followed? I mean, I've seen Under the Skin. I've seen Sexy Beast. Um, I've seen most of the music videos he's directed and uh, a lot of the commercials. But, I mean, he's, he's quite an interesting character. He hasn't done that many feature films, as far as I know, right? We can count it on one hand. He seems like the sort of guy who immerses himself in just each and every creative endeavour. He hasn't got a clear plan. He just likes to immerse himself in uh, whatever comes up next, which I can completely get and appreciate um, as a YouTuber in some respects. I immerse myself in each film, in each video in the same way. But uh, yeah, I, I think... He's an extraordinary filmmaker, and it's a shame he hasn't made more films. It's a funny career when you look at it on the page, isn't it? Like, you know, these films are amazing, yeah. they're winning awards, uh, but only three films in basically 20 years. But he, you're right, you know, he fills his time with doing ads and commercials and, and I, a lot of things that he doesn't actually get credited for. Like, he did some amazing Channel 4 idents. You know, nobody watching them uh, between, you know, uh, three in a bed and come dine with me knows that it's Jonathan Glazer's idents. Uh, but they're really, really eye-catching. Oh, crikey, I didn't know that. I think he just likes making stuff it's liking yeah i think if you're going to watch one music video rabbit in your headlights by uncle is really impressive i don't know if you've seen it but it involves a sort of uh crazed figure in a tunnel just crashing into cars cars running him over and uh it's quite graphic and i think when it came out it, it wasn't allowed to be screened past a certain time as a result but uh so such a simple premise a guy a kind of a guy having a mental breakdown just wandering through a tunnel getting hit by cars <laughs> but uh, classic laser done in such a visually striking way and again that's the key for Jonathan Glazer he knows how to make something visually striking he's so confident in some sort of visual language of, of filmmaking you know he can and that's why he's so good at these music videos and ads in 30 seconds he can leave a huge impact with you and it's so different to what he went on to do later uh, you know which was probably a little bit weirder a little bit more surreal his following films and his short films that he's he's recently been working on I haven't seen them no I've, I mean I've seen Under the Skin and that was quite a bizarre thing I don't know how I felt about it I think it was it was quite compelling but it's the sort of thing you watch once and go oh that was weird was interesting <laughs> but you don't I don't know if you feel like you want to watch it again but I, I take my hat off to him for, for making it and I don't think there was any dialogue in that probably you can count the amount of dialogue on two hands um, and fair play to Scarlett Johansson for doing it as well. Yeah, the vision of uh, Scarlett Johansson driving a white transit van around Glasgow, talking to non-actors <laughs> uh, in disguise, basically, is, is is quite striking. I want. I would love to have been there at the pitch meeting when they when they pitched that to her. Like, this is what you're going to do: drive a van through Glasgow. Are you excited? Right off the back of the Avengers film, where she got paid twenty million dollars or something, and probably paid like four pounds fifty to <laughs> to do that. Um, but fair play to her for for taking part and. Uh, making a very much an art house style film. Maybe she's a big fan of Sexy Beast. She's like, I want to work with that guy. I'd like to think so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Sexy Beast is in our 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Really excited to be able to bring this to an audience on the big screen. How would you want to present this film to uh, the paying public? I think I would, given so much of the film is set at a Spanish villa, I would build a Spanish villa and uh, have a swimming pool. The very same swimming pool that uh, is so omnipresent in the film. I'd have a big swimming pool. Everyone would watch the film while sitting on an inflatable swimming pool chair. Inflatable chair in a swimming pool. And uh, Ben Kingsley would come out in character and just insult the audience for, for half an hour 
before the film kicked off as Don Logan uh, and make everyone cry and uh, hopefully we can use this unlimited budget to convince him to take up the character one more time for this prestigious <laughs> this prestigious event it's the 20th anniversary of the film this year. I think it's a great way to unretire his <laughs> currently deceased character in the film and, and give us one, one more performance. Definitely. Shout the audience while they sit in the inflatable chairs in the swimming pool. Job done. That is that is the way to watch the film. Maybe give a you know a bottle of tanning oil to every audience member on the way in. They can they can yes. uh, rub you know rub it into themselves whilst watching the film uh, and and you know, live that Ray Winston life. Become Ray Winston. Uh, before watching the film it's the perfect idea yes i like that we could play the stranglers on the on the way in and dean martin on the <laughs> way out this is this is all good we'll use that that great jukebox soundtrack that they use in the film i wonder how much this this would cost to do this <laughs> uh, i'm i'm worried looking at uh, the, the bill racking up but uh, i think we'll pull it off we'll make it all back in ticket sales right <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> definitely if you had to choose some sexy beast snacks to serve our audience what would be on the menu well given it's a British gangster film. I guess it demands to be watched while enjoying like pub snacks, like pork scratchings and crisps and cider and gin and tonic and Guinness. Because uh, obviously Jonathan Glazer did the Guinness adverts. We've got to have that as well. So yeah, that'll be a sort of a British pub-themed uh, <laughs> snacks and drinks to see you through. Seems like a fitting, fitting amount, of fitting cuisine for the scenario seeing all these lads uh, talking about the bank job you want to have a bag of pork scratchings and a pint of Guinness on your on your inflatable sun lounger floating on a pool it's the dream having just been berated by Ben Kingsley it sounds great I'm just excited about the idea of sitting in a pool the idea of watching a film in that scenario is would be a dream come true I've never done it that is, a, that is like a bucket list thing to do <laughs> sit in a pool and watch a film while eating pork scratchings well, there we go. So Sexy Beast is in our 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Our first uh, screening on the water. Uh, excited to have that in. I think it's our first gangster film as well. It's good good to mix really? the genres up uh, a little bit. We've got Dead Man's Shoes, which is it's yeah. almost a gangster film, I guess. Quite low-key gangsters, but this is proper, you know, big London gangsters doing a bank job. I mean, is Snatch, is Snatch and Lockstock over uh, 90 Minutes? I think they're both too long, uh, sadly. Damn. I guess, yeah, there's not been much in the way of British gangster films recently there was The Gentleman Guy Ritchie that was pretty good actually it was good to see Guy Ritchie back to form doing something pretty Guy Ritchie style with a good cast and a great performance uh, it's good to see back on good form and with Hugh Grant playing a great character Hugh Grant was a pretty strong run the last last few years as well I think it all started with Paddington 2 and then um, yeah, yeah. it's just gone from strength to strength. I remember being on a plane coming back to London and I watched Paddington 2, which is one of the, the only films that appealed to me, which I, I hadn't even seen Paddington 1. But I watched it and I have to say, it's bloody brilliant. <laughs> it's completely against my character to like a film like Paddington 2. But it was really good and it had one of the best ensemble casts I've seen in a long time. So Paddington 2, go and watch that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> If people want to see what you're up to online, uh, where's the best place to find you, Chris? Just type in Abroad in Japan and uh, the channel and the videos should come up somewhere. Um, but if, yeah, type them into YouTube and uh, hopefully something will come up. Fingers crossed. You do the podcast twice weekly, uh, which has been great during lockdown. It's always good to have more things to listen to. And yeah, you've had a great run of videos recently. Just before Christmas, you did a, a journey across Japan to see Mount Fuji, which is really fun to watch. Mm. A good, Always good to watch a road trip, especially when we're all locked up in our houses over here. Yeah, like I wanted to do a road trip because, as you say, like everyone's been locked up and spent a lot of the time last year indoors. So it was nice to do a road trip and 
kind of take people on a journey to see to find Mount Fuji as you said because it's a bloody difficult mountain to see despite being 3,800 metres tall and just outside of Tokyo it spends most of its time in the clouds and it's very hard to actually catch a good view of it but spoilers we did see it thank god and the six day road trip uh, the six part series wasn't a complete failure so I was pretty delighted about that oh fantastic what have you got <laughs> coming up in in 2021 that you can mention I'm, I'm looking to do another road trip but no, I mean as I said I really want to do a short film and I say short film because a good place to start off right in, in getting into uh, fiction um, but yeah that's a that's a big thing I really have no excuses anymore before it was a matter of equipment and uh, resources and I've got all that now but I just need to find an idea that excites me and that is probably the most difficult aspect of all right to find an original idea that's exciting so the only thing I really want to do this some point this year is make a short film that's good enough to enter hopefully into a, a film festival eventually look forward to seeing what you come up with thank you very much Sam yes it's going to be scary but fun thank you so much for talking to us today it's been great to have you on the pod and great to get sexy beast into the festival yes and it's been a a lot of fun joining you on the show thank you so much for having me on sam hope i can uh, come back again soon with another film recommendation that's under 90 minutes thank you for listening please subscribe on apple podcasts or your podcatcher of choice you can also listen on our website 90minfilmfest.com that's 90minfilmfest.com you can contact us there or on twitter and instagram at 90minfilmfest the podcast is produced by louise owen and me sam clements the show is edited by louise owen with sound mixing and additional editing by luke smith our music is by martin ostrick and our artwork is by sam gilby and we'll be back in a couple of weeks We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.